The Bible reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 28. It's on page 958 of the Pew Bibles. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Do you ever find that it's hard to be a Christian in our world today? As the world changes around us, and the things that we remember become different. Do you find it hard to know how to live out your faith? We all have a a desire to love and serve Jesus and be a part of his community, but sometimes we, we wonder what to do, how that works. Now, the passage that Maddie's just read for us, Paul seeks to answer that question for the Thessalonians. After he's completed his response to the pressing theological issues that are faced by the young church, he now turns to the the day-to-day issues. How then shall we live? His advice is not only to them personally, but how they can, as a group, be the people of God. So in that sense, it's good advice for us today. Now, with the um, fear of sounding a bit like a schoolteacher, there's probably some background that might be useful here. So if you'll forgive me, we'll do that. That in... The ancient world, letters were written to be read aloud. Whereas we tend to read things ourselves, we read our Bible in our own personal time. In the ancient world, where a letter was written to a church, it was carried to the church, and then the church would gather, and the bearer of the letter, usually someone of some oratory skill, would stand up and read or almost perform 
the letter. The letter was written in a way that people would be able to remember what was being said. It had various literary devices in it. Paul was a great rhetoric and a lot of his letters are written in this form. But the passage that we read today is, is like a poem um, and it's rather lost on us because we've translated it but all of the starting points begin with pi or phi. And so Paul writes this last passage and it's part of a, a memory exercise. It's almost like the peas or the pies for the church to remember. Now, I, I don't think I can go through them as, as peas or pies, but I think we can have a look at them today and see if we, if we can find some, some application for them. Now, I, I know we all learn differently, but it's my desire this morning, just the same as Paul's, that we not only listen and forget what we hear, but we actually listen, remember, and even apply. So, I'd ask you to bear with me if, um, when we go through a point and Paul gives some advice, I'd, I'd like you to reflect on how you might be able to apply that next week and going forward. How can, with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, can some of Paul's advice become practice for you next week? And early in the, 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 the letter, David discussed in, in detail the theological answers to some of the, the pressing issues. Uh, and that was hard work for us to understand how that, how that could happen. But today the, the issue is really not in the understanding. It's actually in the doing. But I, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to, to work with the doing this morning. First, verse 12, if you're following it, and it will probably be easier if you are, acknowledge those who work hard amongst you and care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard because of their work. Do you know one of the hardest jobs in Australia today is that of a Christian minister? It's often underappreciated. It's usually undervalued, and despite the high calibre of applicants, the considerable amount of tertiary training involved, the average working life of a pastor is significantly less than any other profession. They have a tough job, and it's important, as Paul writes, that they should be intentionally loved and cared for. Now, without wanting to embarrass David and Kylie, that, that's some, some pretty good teaching there. How can we care for our pastoral family? Over to you. Next one is live in peace with each other. Seek common ground rather than division. It's easy to find fault with people, but it's harder to listen 
and seek common ground. Where people are prepared to listen to each other, community flourishes and the gospel is shared. How can we as a community of faith actually listen to each other and be peacemakers so that the gospel is shared? The next one's a bit more challenging. Warn those that are idle and disruptive. You may, perhaps the translation is a bit strong. I actually prefer the old word to exhort or to plead rather than to warn. But even then, what right, you ask, do we have to warn someone or plead with them about their behaviour? Well, Paul talks about being a parent to the Thessalonians. He thinks of them as his children, as his brothers and sisters. The type of family relationship that involves care and responsibility. Scripture tells us we are the family of God. If you love and care for someone, then speaking into their life is a consequence of that care and a responsibility of all. How can we speak into the lives of our friends here at Campbell South? Next one, encourage the disheartened. So simple, but so rare. Sharing someone's sadness is sometimes dangerous. In the ancient world, they believed that if someone suffered, you needed to avoid them because their ill fate would be caught and you would suffer the same as they did. Sadly, sometimes that's the case today. We see people that are suffering and we think, oh, perhaps that's God's will. We sh- There's something wrong here. Jesus went out of his way to care for those in greatest need. Caring for people seldom involves solving their problems. It requires sitting with them, empowering them, and encouraging them. Again, how can we encourage someone that needs encouragement? Help the weak. This one must have sounded very odd to the Thessalonians. In the transactional society that was made up the ancient world, this would have seemed absurd. What advantage could there be in helping the weak? However, the ancient Christians and Christians today are called to intentionally help those that can't help them back. Doesn't mean dropping a coin in a beggar's bowl or giving money to charity. It means actively engaging with people and helping those that are struggling. Can you think of a way in which you could apply that one? Next one's pretty hard. Be patient with everyone. There were clearly different types of people in the small Thessalonian church and they obviously didn't get along together. 
But Paul instructs that for the good of the community, they should be patient in their dealings and make allowances for each other. This, this one spoke to me, so I, I, I'd share it with you. Make sure that you, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Again, the ancient world was a, a power and fear environment. You protected yourself by punishing those that harmed you. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness and 2,000 years of his, 2,000 years of Christian experience has changed our world. But as we become more of a post-Christian culture, we find payback and revenge creeping back into our community life. It should have no place in the community of faith. Always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Now, I, I expect this is my, my age, but all of the media that tends to bounce around me at this stage tells me that I'm the most important person in the universe and I should take all appropriate steps to be, keep myself safe, um, to keep myself happy, um, and to look after myself, regardless of every, anyone else. I'm led to believe that I'm the centre of the universe. Now, Paul argues a different narrative. He tells the Thessalonians that they should put others first and think about what's best for the community. I suspect in the future this will be something that causes the church to stand out. It'll be a group of people that are happy to put others before themselves. The next one, rejoice always. Now this is definitely counterintuitive. Even the most blessed people have hard times and the idea of celebrating them would seem nonsensical. I expect the, the key to the paradox lies in the special relationship that each of us has with God. When all the external stuff is going pear-shaped around us, our understanding that we are beloved children of a living God remains unchanged and unassailable. We find our, our security and our comfort in who we are as children of God rather than from what we are experiencing at that time. God loves us and this should be the cause for celebration. Pray continually. There's a lot in those couple of verses, isn't there? Pray continually. Now, Paul's not talking about closing our eyes at the traffic lights and praying long and detailed prayers. 
I think that might be a little disastrous. He's explaining how Christians should share their lives and their experiences with Jesus. It's about thanking God when you're feeling good. It's about asking for help when you're feeling bad. It's about reflecting on God's provision for you when you're simply bored and waiting for something to happen. It's about acknowledging that in your everyday life you are a child of God and that he cares about you. I've actually tried it this week, it's not bad. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you and Jesus Christ. Now it's easy to give thanks when things are great but more difficult in hard times like having a cold and trying to speak at the same time but it is difficult when when things aren't going well for you to give thanks but in the New Testament we find that those that were the first to acknowledge Jesus to call out to him the blind beggar unashamedly cries out to Jesus for help the unwell woman in the crowd fights her way through to touch his cloak. In our time of need, we are stripped of the sense of our own self-sufficiency that often leads us away from God and we are reminded of our dependence on him. Although it's almost counterintuitive, it's important to give thanks for the things that point us back to God. Do not quench the spirit. As Christians, we are forgiven and justified. Justified means seen righteous by God. By the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit sustains and guides our faith journey. However, the extent that the Spirit can work in our lives is restricted to the scope that we allow. If we're open to the leading of the Spirit, we will experience God's leading in our lives. If we deny the Spirit's influence and decry it, then we are unlikely to actually hear God speak to us. People often say, well, God never speaks to me. And in a sense, that's, that's true. I think it's very seldom that, that I hear an auditable God voice booming or I see writing on the wall or even a burning bush as I'm wandering along. But God does speak to us. It can be in our Bible reading. It can be the strange thoughts that pop into our head when we're praying. It can be when we're listening to someone speak. There are many ways that, that God speaks to us if we are listening. If you're intentionally looking and listening, you're more likely to receive guidance. As Paul said, don't deny or quench the Spirit. Do not 
treat prophecies with contempt, but test them to see whether they're true. There's a level of cynicism in our society today about prophets, and I expect, given this warning, there must have been in the ancient world too. Paul's advice to the Thessalonians is good for us today. We should be good, we should be open to God speaking for his prophecy, but we should test these against what we know is true from the Bible. As David said last week, anyone that tell, any prophet that says that the world's ending on Monday must be wrong because the Bible tells us that we won't know it's going to end. Don't deny prophecy, but test it against what we know from Scripture. The next phrase, reject all kind of evil. Now like a good legal draftsman, Paul finishes with a catch-all. As well as all of the foregoing, the community of faith must avoid involvement in any sort of evil. It's very clear and directive. Whatever the circumstances, there can be no excuse for believers becoming involved in things that they know are wrong. There's a line between what's right and wrong and I expect most people know it. The Galatians knew what was right and wrong and Paul said it didn't matter what the circumstances were that they should avoid all forms of evil. Now, these are the things that Paul said that Christians needed to do to build up their faith. Now, it's a very long list of things for us to do, which sometimes can be a bit sad. But Paul then follows up with the really encouraging advice that it's not all about us. It's not all about us doing. Rather, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we seek to be obedient, and as we do, God acts within us and through the community. In verse 23, we have the bit that God does. God will sanctify you through and through. Uh, when we accept Jesus, we are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. So we reclaim our heritage, our rightful heritage as children of God. Theologians call this justification. We are the same people, but God sees us differently. Luther talked about us putting on the, the cloak of Jesus so that when God looked at us, he saw Jesus rather than the mess that was underneath. And then through the power of the Spirit living in us, we gradually begin the slow process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And this can take a long time, and I know. But we gradually become 
what God sees us to be. He then goes on. God will keep the whole spirit, soul, body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we, we start, as we start the journey, God promises that he will remember our justification. He'll remember that we have been forgiven. We are justified. For all the challenges, for all the missteps of life, God will remember that. Verse 24. Just in case there's some doubt. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Finally, we can be sure that God is faithful and true and able to keep his promises. I trust that we can all take some silence in that today. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.